welcome to the CG Pro Podcast. If you like what you see today and you want to find out more about CG Pro, you can follow us at becomecgpro.com or in our Facebook group. And today, it gives me great pleasure to welcome Brett Leonard. Welcome, Brett. Hi. Thanks for joining us tonight. Um, great to have you here. Um, Brett, for anyone who doesn't know, um, you should know, Brett is an incredible creative force he's a super talented film director innovator pioneer um the list goes on the man of many talents um he has made some incredible movies over the years some some of which uh you may know going back to the lawnmower man and virtuosity lawnmower man inspired me to get into computer graphics in the first place that was one of the movies that did it for me with jurassic park uh, being another one um brett was the director of lawnmower man and it was a very pioneering use of, of computer graphics and re and telling stories using new technologies um brett is uh I have too many things that I could mention. Um, <laughs> Brett is a, an incredible uh, talent in behind the camera, but also really pushes the the technology and the way that we tell stories. And that's probably some of what we'll talk about tonight. Um, Brett, welcome. Well, hey, great, great to be here. It's an interesting time for storytelling, or as we like to say now, story worlding. <laughs> right exactly yeah yeah i mean you've you've been on the the bleeding edge for a long time now you've been pushing the what what's possible in cinema for a, a long time and i uh, you know thanks to you and people like you to take who, who people who take risks in what we do and and pushing the medium to the well, various mediums to do things that they're not supposed to do and find new ways of, of doing it. You know, yeah, I think that's, you know, that's the unique thing. Uh, you know, the technology, um, which really are tools, you know, that, that, and this is through human history, really, you know, it changes the nature of our expression. And in cinema history, the technology associated with cinema has always changed the nature of cinematic expression. And now that we're moving into this era of immersion, uh, which to me is still, connected to to the this larger concept of cinema in general kind of cinema is my religion so I, I still you know like to think of things in the in the evolutionary form uh in the context of cinema uh although there are definitely things changing in the nature of an immersive experience and how story can be explored and discovered within that so there's a lot to talk about there but you know the really unique thing is that the tools change the nature of how we tell things but also what we tell uh you know and this goes back to uh, you know, some of the media colleges going back to Marshall McLuhan and, uh, you know, the idea that the medium is the message and, and all these things. And we're in this era right now of just rapid change and development of these tools. Obviously, there's been so much, uh, you know, focus on virtual production process and things like that. Uh, but as we've been talking about, you know, there, there's uh, there's so many things that can be experimented with in the nature of how these tools spark our imaginations and spark our inspiration as people creating story worlds, worlds that have the idea of narrative and story within them. And, uh, you know, even going back to the long man, as you mentioned, I mean, uh, you know, that was the, the, the nature of how I had to do the effects on that film, given it's, it's very minor budget for that time. And the fact we had, you know, 27 minutes of digital effects in it, uh, T2, had you know seven and was 120 million dollars and we were five million dollars and had 27 minutes so we had to explore and express 
the aesthetic of what I called at that point a kind of cyberdelic uh, revolution. It's something that wasn't trying to be photorealistic. It was actually trying to express this idea of virtual reality, which we kind of popularized the term with that film. Uh, you know, and and it, it it's its own thing because the tools and the limitations we had forced us into certain uh, certain processes. And I think that that kind of experimentation is something we should do even as the tools get more and more advanced and sophisticated. I totally agree. I I think um, visual effects. Been doing my been doing it for fifteen years professionally anyway, and during that time, it's felt like some parts of it became very procedural and worked out, and yeah. I, it made me want to go and tear it up a little bit and try and figure out some some new stuff just to keep it interesting. Um, so I, I want to ask you, like, what what were some early early experiences for you that made you want to get into making? movies and playing around with technology when i was seven or eight i went and saw 2001 a space odyssey um and and i i built up to that my I, my i begged my father to take me to that film i saw that was coming and really stanley kubrick is the reason <laughs> that i i was spurred to to do things in the cinematic medium which is kind of interesting because really he was pushing and changing and disrupting the idea of cinematic storytelling he wasn't doing traditional narrative storytelling um and and also his use of the technology so you know one of the reasons i got involved with with uh its visual effects in general was that there was this great book by a guy named jerome engel who created this book called the making of 2001 now i was a kid and i started reading it when i was just you know nine years old or something i wrote i read it probably 20 times before i understood any of it but it really got me into the experimentation it introduced me to people like Doug, douglas trumbull who later became a mentor of mine who just recently passed away this last yeah. year uh doug you know you're you know you're in a wonderful virtual visual effect in the sky um you know yeah. beyond the firmament uh he was a true pioneer and uh you know in the way kubrick was playing with story and all that i think it really it really tweaked me in that direction of wanting to go and one of the reasons i became involved with this idea of virtual reality because really he was a precursor to virtual environments in a way he was making narrative environments that were that were discoverable that were you know, you could navigate through with your mind, even though you're, you're watching the film again and again. I've seen that film about 152 times, I think. Uh, and, and, and it's different each time. I mean, I think that there's been precursors to this idea of immersive storytelling. I think Fellini was an example of that. He would, you know, bring all these actors and equipment into the Cinecittà studios in, in Rome, and then he would go and discover this story with them. I mean, if you look at the behind the scenes of him making films, he would literally be screaming at everybody everywhere to change things and to telling the performers how to react because they post-dubbed everything uh, in the Italian cinema at that time uh, and still do in a lot of ways. Um, and so it, it allowed this, again, process experimentation with the tools that were being given. If you look at the French New Wave, the tools of the Eclair uh, you know, handheld cameras that allowed someone like uh, Godard to go out and create Breathless on the streets of Paris. And, you know, all of these things were came at, and the, these moments of, of inspirational disruption of what was came because of people experimenting with new technologies. And we are in a plethora of new technologies right now. And in some ways, there's less experimentation because they're all 
focused on how can we get more efficient in the traditional form of media making. And uh, that's one of the things I'm most interested in talking with young people about is what do they see? What are they, what's inspirational to them about what these allow, what, what real-time technologies allow as an example, these procedural techniques. Uh, this really starts to open our minds to an entirely new way of being as storytellers or story worlders. So how, how did you break into the, the industry and start being able to, what, what were some experiments that you, you did in the beginning? What, was, what did you start to do practically yourself you know, I, after the inspiration? Yeah, well, I, I started to make films with Super 8 movie film. I was a Super 8 guy. Uh, at that time, there was a, film, a magazine called Super 8 Filmmaker. And it really, and I just got this, this, I could make whole feature films in Super 8, which I did. I made a couple feature length films in Super 8 and literally cutting that spaghetti. I mean, <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was one of the most daunting things. to, And, and so I learned uh, to do things like edit in the camera. I called it ice, in-camera editing. I'd ice a scene, which means I could go out and create a, an action scene and, and by thinking it through economically, could actually film it in the rhythm of the film. And then I wouldn't have to put that jump, that splice that would jump in the projector in there. And so my films looked a little uh, sort of more professional and slick at a very early age because I was doing in-camera editing. Uh, and then there, were, there, there was a, a great camera called the Niso 6080, which allowed you to do uh, effects in camera. It allowed you to do long superimpositions and dissolves and things like that because it would wind the film back. Uh, it had a larger magazine uh, at that time. And so exploring with Super 8 became really the most amazing, you know, sort of laboratory for me in just learning cinematic language. Uh, and starting with, I think my first uh, Super 8 camera was literally the Kodak, uh, the Kodak Instamatic Super 8 camera, which was the most basic thing possible. But it had this amazing lens, little lens on it. And you could create really stunning, striking imagery with it. And so it just, it, it fired me to want to take that, you know, further. And I, I actually never played around with 16 millimeter. I went right to 35. I, when I started making feature films, my first film, The Dead Pit, which of course was a zombie movie, um, uh, you know, I, which I filmed in uh, up, uh, Milpitas, which is just under San Francisco in an abandoned insane asylum. Uh, I, I used a lot of the things that I played with in Super 8 uh, and brought them over into 35 because I needed that economy to get a film done with. And we shot that in, you know, 10, 12 days, uh, you know, and it was, uh, but it was one of the, we literally were staying in the abandoned insane asylum, crashing on these old cots. I mean, uh, there were definitely ghosts there. So wow. and for me, it's all, all the things I've done that have been for me really fundamental have been experimentation, have been experimenting with process. And that is something I'm, I'm really at this phase of my career, I'm more interested in than ever, especially given the new tools that exist. I mean, and, you know, with AI procedural generation, I mean, this stuff is just phenomenally interesting. Uh, you know, there's there's some, you know, things that the cautionary notes that we could, you know, talk about around some of these procedural techniques. But at the same time, we haven't played enough with it to know what the hell it brings us to. There's things that, I, I mean, I think for a, a young generation of people that are you know, the new generation of, of filmmakers, storytellers, story wielders, immersive enthusiasts that are coming into the medium. It's a, a time to really sort of kind of try to break the processes that have been embedded in tradition 
and, and custom at this point and really see where it can take us. Kind of like that moment in the French new wave that happened, but now it's an immersive new wave. It's a procedural new wave, uh, you know, and these, uh, I, the tools are becoming more and more accessible to do that as you're very well, uh, well aware. Absolutely. Yeah. The, what, what advice would you have for people kind of starting out or maybe people who've been doing it for a while to kind of try and break free of those molds? I guess like, people starting out in the industry might tend to want to be mentored and learn from people who've been doing it a certain way and be able to get jobs and opportunities. And that, that probably encourages more narrow thinking and which, less experimentation. Which is totally understandable. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's funny for me, you know, uh, in order for me to break into the business when I was doing it, I had to, I had to do it in different ways in order to differentiate myself. Uh, it was a time of much less opportunity. I mean, there wasn't any internet. There wasn't, you know, there wasn't uh, these amazing, you know, we couldn't make films on our phones. None of that ha existed. And so you had to, you know, get support. And yet you had to create a, an excitement around your process that showed maybe this would, you know, come a across with a different uh a different uh, effect or a, a different outcome uh, narratively or emotionally or visually. And I think that that excitement for finding new ways of, of expressing and breaking down and deconstructing cinema uh, and storytelling is really should be at the core of what's going on now. We've kind of come to this moment where a lot of stories have been told, a lot of modalities have been played with. And so in order to you know, break the mold, you really need to push and, and, and kind of sideways think. And sometimes the technology allows that in a way that, that is, it becomes uh, an initial inspiration. You can actually, you know, go to another place because you're playing with the technology in a way that you, you, it's not meant to be done that way. I mean, if you look at great classic films like uh, Citizen Kane, Citizen Kane was horse and wells that, you know, 25 years old, finding out that this thing was just invented by this guy at RKO called the optical printer. And almost that entire film, all those, all the shots, the deep focus shots, the composite shots, uh, that's a huge visual effects film. And it was made because Orson was playing around with the optical printer. There were no rules. There was no, nothing to guide him. And because of that, he made this tremendous innovative film that, that changed cinema. You know, uh, same thing that Kubrick did when he was playing with the, the technology he was working out with Doug Trumbull, you know, early motion control, slit scan, all of these things that ended up being the foundations of why, you know, much more commercially focused films like the Star Wars films were even possible. So what happens is experimentation becomes the new commerciality. So in a way, you know, the idea that, well, I've got to go the traditional route in order to get a job, in order to get uh, you know, embedded in the industry is actually a misnomer. And I think at this moment in time, uh, breaking the mold is even more important. Now, I will say that in order to break the mold, you got to know what the mold is. <laughs> You're breaking. Right. You have to, you know, knowing what good narrative is, knowing how that works in the human conscious and unconscious, that's really important. I do see a lot of things done by new, uh, new filmmakers that want to be, in a sense, hip, by shifting the way in which the resolution happens in narrative. And in a way, it, it feels like they're doing it just to be able to sort of break, well, we're not doing it the traditional way, we're doing it in a way that disrupts that. But if you're doing it in a way that disrupts it without actually understanding how to make a good solid story that actually resolves emotionally, it doesn't have the same effect. And so I would, it, it's really a combination, I think, of really diving deeply into the traditional methodologies and then seeing how you can break them from your own inspiration. 
So what, what advice would you give to someone seeking to do that? And I know mentoring and working with other people who are great storytellers, watching a lot of movies, et cetera, is a good way to yeah, try to understand filmmaking. I mean, in a way, you know, you kind of sacrifice a part of your life to get in cinema because you end up watching so many movies, so much of your, of your, of your actual lifetime is watching movies and right. deconstructing them. And, uh, you know, I, I really encourage people to look, especially those that are growing up in the Hollywood system or coming into this system and really want to, uh, you know, be part of that, to, to look at other world cinema, to look at cinema that there's so much amazing cinema that happens all over the world that often doesn't come to this market. Uh, you know, there are things like the Criterion Channel that sort of, you know, give a, a showcase for that, but there's much, much deeper research into world cinema that can happen. Uh, you know, the, the cinema of Lagos in Nigeria is, is, is like there's entire, uh, an entire genre of, of, of cinema that happens that's done with almost no money at all. And it's tremendously innovative and they distribute it by handing out DVDs at in traffic jams and hit films in the Lagos world of, of come about from that distribution modality. So the idea of taking the new tools, I mean, right, really at this point with the, with the ability to, to create visual effects very in a very sophisticated way with tools that are free, like Blender, uh, you know, you, you've got you've got all the tools available, all the image acquisition tools you could possibly imagine in the in your pocket, essentially. And so, as Stanley Kubrick said, you know, it actually was quoted in that book I mentioned, uh, the making of 2001. People always ask me, said, just go make film. That's the only way you can figure it out. Now, that was at a time was much more difficult to do that. You had to really right. get a lot. Of, now. I mean, you, you don't need to go even to a college and get the tools. You can actually find those tools online. You could shoot with your phone, play around and really find out what works for you and your point of view as a storyteller or a story wielder. You know, and, and, and all the I mean, the, the, the richness of the tool set now is mind boggling to what it used to be. Uh, and so I would say, you know, there's no excuse for anybody to not really play around and find their own voice utilizing the tools and do it without a lot of resource. Cause when you, one of the things for me, I mean, I, I came up having to figure out, you know, new ways. Like I wanted to make a big movie, you know, the Lawmer man about virtual reality and lots of digital effects, but I didn't have a big budget. So I had to figure out new ways and, and bring in new artists, new people to do it in not the traditional way that was being done at that time at ILM. I wouldn't, I wasn't able to afford that. So we got something unique. I'm not saying it's even in com competition with the other thing. It's just something different, something, something unique that happens when you, when you sort of bolt these pieces together in a new way and you find other creative artists. There's so many interesting artists out there playing around with these things out in the world, uh, you know, because the tools are so accessible now. You know, you don't have to go into a, a thousand dollar an hour suite in order to do create some pretty amazing aesthetic, uh, aesthetic uh, environments. And so that playing around with that and then playing with how do we create truly interactive narrative? I think one of the things that I'm most interested in at this point is, and have been you know thinking about it for quite a while. And I kind of got into it because I made films about virtual reality. And so it sort of just took my mind from, I was making traditional narrative films about virtual reality, but the idea of immersive environments being uh, you know, an exploration of narrative, an exploration of how to create agency within the context of narrative. That is a mind-bending process. And I've, you know, to this day, it's what uh, occupies a lot of my mind space. 
I've been working on a theory I call narrative magnets for you know 25 years, which is about how to create curation and story tropes and genre tropes within a narrative uh, environment. Uh, and looking back at filmmakers like Kubrick and Fellini, and even you know. Uh, uh, Ridley Scott is in many ways uh, an environmental filmmaker. He makes narrative environments. I mean, what Blade Runner is really a narrative environment more than it is a traditional plot. I mean, the plot is incredibly simple. You know, Android chases other androids, find out, finds out he's an android. I mean, you know, you don't watch that movie again and again because of the plot. You know, you watch <laughs> that because you're exploring a narrative environment that has such richness in it. And so that's what we need to get to in the context of true immersive storytelling that has agency. So I think that edge is something for a new generation of story storytellers, story worlders to really start to play with uh, in a much greater way. I, whenever I speak at, at uh, colleges or for groups of young filmmakers, I always learn so much from them because they are playing around with these new modalities. And then I'm sure you're aware of, you know, some of the VTube, VTubers that are out there, uh, you know, playing around with these things, using new tools like Blender. We were talking a little bit uh, earlier about uh, back rooms and the creepy pasta movement, which is, you yep. know, and who would ever come up with this in a traditional Hollywood environment? Uh, you know, and they're and adding on to these creepy environments and then bringing characters in and kind of building story as a community around uh, around that you know, uh, something that just came out of one 16-year-old uh, uh, creator of, of environments. He started making these rooms that kind of felt like empty, creepy office complexes. And then that led to the idea of exploring a narrative within that. I mean, that's fascinating to me. And how the group mind plays with these things and, and engages with it, that's what, that's what I think that all this connectivity can be really a positive thing for the idea of, of empowering people to create uh, with these tools and not just lean back and, and, and be you know, receptacles for creation. I think we're in that moment where really the, the idea that, you know, the Hollywood people are uh, at the top of the mountain and we're the, you know, the monks in the cathedral that are sending the, uh, the calligraphy down to the masses who can't write or, or, or read. And that's now starting to be turned all around. I think there's a, a bottom-up uh, process experimentation starting to happen because the tools are accessible and because of the connectivity. Um, you know, we're we're not at the end of the disruption that's going to be happening because of streaming services. I mean, streaming services are still in a, uh, a flux in terms of what the business model is going to be. I mean, if you've looked at recently, you know, Netflix has been hitting the wall with uh, certain aspects of its business model. So nothing is nothing is set in stone. And by the way, I would say for all the young people trying to get into the business, that is an exciting time to be part of this business because mm -hmm. it's not just one or two routes. It's really something that you could create an entirely new way of getting your uh, material to, to an audience or, or engaging people as participants in your material. That's something I think is where a lot of the experimentation can, can really take us to new, to new heights of, of human imagination. So be, being a, a director and a storyteller, and being really good at crafting stories and directing people through a story, how do you take that and then kind of flip the script and then give people in a place to explore where they could kind of go anywhere? You still, I'm, I'm guessing you want to guide them a little bit, but give them yeah. some freedom, but not too much freedom because then they get lost and they don't have a good experience. Well, like, well, there, how do you... 
Yeah, there's freedom and then there's chaos. <laughs> so there's there's engaging a decentralized, you know, a form of storytelling, and then there's mob rule. You know, these things. You know, you, we have to find a medium uh, way of of bringing agency and decentralization into storytelling, into ex, into expressing world creation, the idea of creating world assets and creating worlds as a group mind, which I think can unlock a tremendous amount of the genius of the group mind. I think that, again, this can be a really positive aspect of uh, the the fact we're all connected together in such a unique way. I mean, there's been, there's a lot of negativity out there around the fact that we're connected together and in social media and all these different things. And there's, there's, you know, a lot of diatribes we could go on and cautionary tales we could tell about that. But I would prefer to look at what's the responsibility we have now to actually flip that and make that a positive energy within, uh, within media. Media has been, you know, such a, you know, it's been so maligned and so, and, and, and so deified at the same time, we need to find again that middle ground where we can find creative empowerment, really unlocking the genius of the group mind, and and yet uh, you know experimenting with these new new structures in a way that we discover together. Because you know what humans love to do, they love to discover things. And so for me, um, I'm you know having been a film director now for over thirty years, you know I, I've gotten all of my you know, jollies out of you know sort of top down. Uh, decision making. I mean, I, you know, making something exactly the way you want. I mean, there's, you know, the whole alter theory that, and that's all, look, it's been great and fun, but what really ex- I became more and more sensitive to is exploring and discovering things, especially with, with actors, especially with the, the creative, uh, you know, collaborators and, and that discovery together as a group, as a community, in a sense, almost in the tribal ritual of creation that cinema ha- is, that's become more and more what's interesting to me. And I think, in a way, a new generation can start uh, at this idea that really what we're doing is a kind of tribal ritual of creation that goes out there, it, it, it affects culture, it changes culture, and now we're asking the rest of the culture to become part of that process, the idea of the creator economy, all these ideas that, that bring value to uh, not a top-down hierarchy of creation, but more of a bottom-up hierarchy of creation. And, and I think that these are the things that need to be explored. There's no simple answers to any of this right now. This is, a, you know, we're in a moment of, of kind of chaos. We're also in a moment of tremendous challenges in the world. So there's a lot of things to, uh, to express as artists, to yeah. express as storytellers. Uh, and, and in a way, I, th- I think the moment is ripe for you know, new movements to happen within the context of cinema. I mean, a lot of people will say, well, cinema as it existed is dead. You know, you get, you get a lot of the, that talk out there. Uh, it's all been done or it's, it's been co-opted by, you know, just making uh, giant superhero movies, all these things that lament. I don't think that that's a positive way of looking at it. I think that, I think that uh, you know, the craft that goes into the giant Hollywood films is tremendous craft, tremendous artistry that goes into even the biggest blockbusters. And yet, there has to be this other kind of experimentation going on simultaneously that finds another value equation, which is why this idea of the metaverse, which is, you know, I have a, a podcast called What the F is the Metaverse. I do it with my son, Shannon, Shannon Leonard. It's an intergenerational communication. You can find it on any, you know, on, the, on Apple podcast. It's because no one knows what it is. It's, it's, and for me, it's an environment of, again, of experimenting with these ideas of how you create aesthetics, how you create environments, characters, emotions, 
and yes, narrative. And engaging people in a more group experience of that becomes a very deep positive thing that the networkability of our connections allows that never has happened before on the planet to this degree. So there's a, I think it's a tremendously exciting time to actually be a utopian, to actually look at things with that can have utopian outcomes. Not that it's going to be easy, not that it's going to be, you know, that we can't look at the, all the cautionary notes that are out there. And, 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 you know, the irony for me is that most of the films I've made about virtual reality have been cautionary tales. You know, that's, that's really where I started. But I'm now looking at, well, how do we inspire people to see the new ways these tools can come together and express another level of human imagination, another level of human expression that has never happened before? And in a way, you know, Hollywood has represented that for since the beginning of its inception. And now it's transforming into a kind of Hollywood of the mind that exists for a much larger subset of people uh, than just the ones that are crazy like myself that, you know, made it into the system somehow and got to direct. I mean, you know, you had to be a kind of crazed uh, maniac to get to, to make it into that system. Uh, and and now I think there's there's ways of people to express within the context of, again, of cinema writ large, uh, of where immersive cinema is going, all of these ideas of cinema with agency and interactivity, so many edges now that are, are new boundaries that are being pushed in this idea of discovery. And that's really what's exciting. Uh, if we can discover some things new together, there's an excitement and inspiration comes out of that that I think inspires us to maybe solve some of the intractable problems that we have going on in the world. Right, which is should be the point of storytelling is to right, explore, yeah, educate. The of, yeah, the point of artistry in general, the point of artists working together. I mean, the thing that's so unique about you know, cinema has been, it's, it's such a collaborative art form. I mean, you, you know, that, that's why I think the auteur theory is a little bit, I mean, I, I've been a proponent of it. I love the auteur filmmakers uh, and have studied them. But at the same time, the truth of making film and making cinema is that <laughs> you're always on the edge of chaos with a group of people trying to find a way of making it work, trying to find a way of making something new. And, uh, and that tribal experience is really the thing that actually is, has given my soul the great, greatest joy, uh, more so than just being able to express an exact idea in the exact storyboard that, uh, you know, that, that may have been in my mind. In a way, throwing out the ideas that you, found as a for, you form as a foundation and then allowing that, that experience of discovery with a group of people, that I think is at the core of how humans have created civilization in general. And now we're creating a virtual civilization. We're creating a kind of digital twin of the planet that is, is, you know, sitting within and interacting with the quote unquote real world. Well, really it's a part of the real world. The idea that it's not real, the idea that, you know, artificial intelligence is artificial. I think that's a misnomer because it's coming from us. It's coming from our creation. So in a way it's extended intelligence, it's augmented intelligence. And I believe that there are ways of that reflecting the better angels of our nature, especially as creators. I mean, I, I don't know how many of the people listening to this have been playing with Dolly, Dolly 2 and uh, Mid Journey uh, and things you know that are procedural generation of art with, uh, with computer collaboration. I mean, it's astonishingly addictive <laughs> and it's really, really fun because you start to feel like your talents are being augmented by 
uh, this tool that again is coming from humans. So it's not really something outside of us. I think I think it's coming something that's coming from the inside of us. And uh, if you look at it that way, I think the inspiration can uh, can be a much more powerful thing. What what speaking of AI tools of which are beginning to emerge and even yes. into visual effects to take away some of the stuff we don't want to do, uh, but also on the creative end of things with things you were mentioning in Midjourney and those kinds of things. What what are some of the things you'd love to be able to to do through that way of expressing? Well, well I, I'm I am uh, officially developing um, what I call Lawnmower Man Reborn which is, uh, you know, people would think, oh, it's a sequel or it's a reboot or, you know, no, <laughs> it's going to be a metaverse world that I want to lean into the process experimentation of using AI human uh, interaction and collaboration, group mind collaboration for story and finding what can happen in a world from narrative tropes that are created from some of the original ideas and themes that were part of that film, which really are about the extension of human consciousness, about the extension of, of the, the human becoming data, all of these ideas, some of which were cautionary, some of which were sort of celebratory, and then seeing where that goes in discovery and then having a metaverse world out of which can fall a feature film that is literally created by the group mind. Uh, so it's in a sense, flipping the entire script on me being a director, not really, um, uh, you know, not really uh, coming at it from this idea of I am directing it, but more uh, I'm curating with maybe a group of curators that are allowing things to be discovered by the group and also by the human machine collaboration. Imagine environments being created with human machine collaboration almost in real time that then spark the imagination of the group and where the story can go. And then how a character may look in the context of a human computer collaboration and that be, becoming part of the emotional structure of what that story, that, that character is all about, which then goes back to and informs character. There's also some really amazing uh, things uh, happening in the context of uh, uh, AI story creation as well. Um, there's a group in Australia that I've been talking with uh, recently that are doing some pretty amazing things and, and, and you know, enabling going into an environment and having all, you know, both macro and micro story decisions affecting the environment in real time so that you're creating the story world in real time and seeing where it goes. I think in that, that process, we're going to discover something new, just like, you know, again, like the, the French new wave discovered something new about cinema because of the, the technologies they were using. And I don't know what exactly that will be, uh, but that's what's exciting about it. So I'm, I'm trying to basically uh, form all of the projects I'm working on around this idea of process experimentation. And uh, there's also some, some other tool makers I'm working with that are doing things uh, with procedural generation in an Unreal 5 environment um, where it, we're trying to see how rapidly can we create really high-end uh, animation of, of a story and, and, and get just a tremendous, you know, sophisticated output, but doing it with procedural generation in a way that, that allows us to be more free in that collaborative real-time process. And again, we don't know what we're going to discover, but I think the discoveries are going to be unique because it's, it's taking, you know, the idea of how stories and cinema have been created and really uh, accelerating it with these tools and with AI 
in a way that uh, we, we won't know the outcome. Now, there are many that will say there's a lot of misnomers to this. There are many that will almost lament aspects of this. And I understand those arguments. Absolutely. But without a process experimentation, how are we going to know? And I believe that there's ways of doing this that can find whole new forms of storytelling, whole new genres that have never been created before that we're going to be discovering together because of the nature of what these tools uh, express. And in a way, what that means is we are exploring the expansion of human consciousness and imagination to a much, much deeper degree. Uh, and, and one of the other things I'm doing, which, uh, you know, I, I'll talk a little bit about uh, after your, whatever your next question is, is this idea of finding uh, immersive environments that are actually healing in nature, actually finding a way of, of, of creating really positive media experiences, especially in the context of immersion and virtual experience, which is so intimate. It's such a, uh, you know, it, it affects us much more intimately than the lean back experience of going and watching a screen or watching, a, you know, whether it's small or large uh, in traditional cinema. And there's some, uh, there's some experimentation I've been doing with, uh, in that lately as well we can talk about. Well, I can definitely ask you a question that will uh, go into that. Uh, I, I am really fascinated by that myself. And I've um, worked on lots of different forms of media from movies, commercials and VR. Um, the beginnings of this next, the last wave of VR, one of the things we made was a VR uh, meditative experience of mm. monarch butterflies uh, flying around. And it was fit simple. I just wanted to make something, put it on Google Play and get it out there and play. It was one of the first 10, I think, VR experiences on Google Play. But the first thing I noticed, and especially going around and giving it to people, was the the expression when they put it on it was it was a simple experience but they they said they felt calm when they put it on they felt better than they had before and they, that really struck me as that an experience that was so simple could affect somebody so profoundly and in a kind of a healing way and i've i've always since wanted to do a lot more with it um tell, tell me some of your thoughts on yes. how how powerful that is. Well, so during the beginning part of the pandemic, a, a group of my uh, associate collaborators, uh, Josh Shore, Billy Alfonso, and my friend, Dr. Skip Rizzo, uh, formed a company called Virtual Psychedelics Incorporated, VPI. And the idea was to create healing virtual environments. Now, this a lot came out of uh, Dr. Skip's uh, uh, research. He, he runs the ICT lab uh, at USC, has for almost 20 years and has also been the pioneering VR clinician on the planet. Uh, Skip's uh, work has been a lot in the area of, of, of solving PTSD with behavioral therapy and virtual reality. He works a lot with veterans, uh, sometimes with rape victims, et cetera. Uh, and it's been, it's shown over, over, a, over a 20 year period to have great, great efficacy. He has over 300 plus peer reviewed papers and a tremendous corpus of knowledge and data around how virtual experience can help rewire the brain around traumatic events. And also that means that anything that deals with sort of neuroplasticity and the idea of rewiring neuronic pathways in the brain, VR and immersive environments become uh, a real modality for that kind of healing, uh, healing outcome. And so we are exploring that within the context of my company. Uh, again, basing it on the, the scientific foundation that Skip has been doing for over 25 years. Uh, and, you know, one of the kind of fun aspects, the reason Skip and I came together is because he saw the lawnmower man 
30 years ago, by the way, this is the 30th anniversary of the Law Moran this year. Uh, Happy anniversary. And, yeah, th- yeah. <laughs> and uh, he, uh, he saw it and he was in the midst of his studies at that time and thought, and was one of the reasons he, he took his, his therapies into the idea of virtual reality. And if you look at the film, go back and look at the film, there's a lot of things in there about affecting the brain, about having positive outcomes with, you know, so it was a little bit prescient in that, even though that was just, you know, fantasy at that time. Uh, Skip actually took it and made it real. <laughs> so right. now I'm working with him to try to find positive, you know, healthcare outcomes, especially for things like, you know, the things we're in a pandemic for now beyond just the viral pandemic, we're in the pandemic of depression. We're in a pandemic of PTSD, anxiety. Uh, these things are very, very addressable in the context of immersive media experience. So I'm, I've been playing with the idea of creating a new genre of media, which I call MIM medicinal immersive media, meaning using the immersion, using the fact that it's a much more intimate media experience in a way that creates healthcare and positive healing outcomes, but really basing it in science, not just, oh, let's go into a, a kind of groovy environment that, that feels uh, relaxing. That's, there's nothing wrong with that, by the way, but actually finding the ways that, you know, the sonic nature of environment, the, the color uh, space and uh, uh, psychology of an environment, the way in which <clears throat> cymatics, I don't know if you are familiar with the science of cymatics, yep. which is the sci- a little bit. Know, there's so many unique uh, things that have been studied in the context of how sound can be visualized and how that affects the psychology and even the physiology of, of, hum- of the human being. And so we're bringing all these things together. We have a, we have a project called the Chrysalis Environment, I have the same water bottle. I just noticed as, yeah. as you. Yeah, the, the <laughs> water bottle. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, we uh, we want to create the Christmas environment to be a way of delivering MIM medicinal immersive media in an environment that is not strapping a box on your head. Now, look, there's nothing wrong with traditional forms of of virtual reality, and look, the Quest Two has had tremendous success, and I I know we're going to evolve beyond that. And one of the things is. What really is immersion? What what con, you know what counts as a truly immersive experience? Does it have to be 360? I don't think it does. Uh, I think there's ways of creating an immersive experience that doesn't have to be in the traditional form of quote unquote virtual reality. And so the Chrysalis environment is something we're moving into prototyping right now with, and we're working with other companies that are are playing around with uh, you know psychedelic research, uh, psychedelic therapies and finding ways of blending virtual therapy with psychedelic therapy for some of these intractable problems that people are having with depression and anxiety. And it's really exciting, Ed, because it's, look, it's a new frontier. And the idea that we could actually create a positive genre of media that is just about healing people. I mean, for me, that is a great, you know, reason for me to, to put my attention to it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's because there's so many potential negative things. And again, I told mostly cautionary tales around the idea of virtual reality. So the idea of creating healing environments and, and, uh, and, and really basing that in a science that can become more and more rich as the data continues to come in. And by the way, there's tremendous research being done all over the world with how virtual and immersive experience affects the neurology. You know, there's neurologists that are making that the center of their, uh, of their, their research. Uh, it's being done at uh, many, many of the big uh, medical research uh, uh, places or, you know, the Harvard Medical School, uh, even Cedar sinai here has a huge uh, initiative 
uh, the Mayo Clinic, all of these things that are now starting to come together to make media a positive thing for humanity, as opposed to it just being something we have to be aware of or can stimulate us or can entertain us and go beyond that. And that idea, which we're, again, you know, really at the beginning of, even though someone like Skip's been working on it for over 30 years, and I expressed these ideas in a film 30 years ago, it's still very early days. And so that discovery and experimentation is really, really uh, a great uh, part of my life right now. Because uh, in even experiencing it myself in some of the ways that we're uh, playing around with this, it's, it has tremendously positive uh, outcomes. And, 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 and it feels... You know, whether you're combining it with microdosing with psychedelics or you're doing it just in a virtual psychedelic form. There are ways of stimulating that kind of experience in a virtual environment without any drugs at all. And that's where, you know, it's one of the places we're moving in this. So, um, anyway. I, I love um, I love the idea. And I, I'm really um, I'm keen on Kevin, Kevin Max uh, in that sense, because it, it is yeah. very psychedelic by nature. It brings up those well, kinds Kevin of things. Great experimenters of this medium. I mean, he's been pushing it, and, and the way in which his, when a lot of his environments are kind of procedurally generated, you know, the way in which you you navigate and move through, and the, and and his idea, you know, Kevin often talks about this idea of of positive engagement as opposed to negative engagement. And you know, in mm -hmm. in most entertainment and stories, you get a lot of negative engagement because negative engagement. We're hardwired for negative engagement. We're hardwired. To like for the flight or fight syndrome, or to, to, to be scared of something and then moving to change that. The idea of creating positive engagement in narrative, positive engagement in virtual environments is a much greater challenge and really what we need to go there. And so Kevin's been one of the great evangelists of that from the very beginning. And I always loved hearing him talk and show, showing his work because it really felt like he was going for a new kind of immersive experience that is in a sense medicinal immersive media it is it is something that creates a healing outcome absolutely yeah we had had him on one of the earlier podcasts and talked about exactly that and because it's really fascinating to explore it and it's 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 interesting thinking of you know storytelling as you said there's there's lots of kind of formulas to it or yeah. we have a negative bias so that, like people either lean into the kind of apocalypse story or the kind of sappy ending you know either one yeah. is like maybe not the perfect way but it feels like you need like you need some tension in it you need some some um um, contrast and you need to be able to like not go fully down one road or the other you need some exactly balance. exactly right it's a time to like blend the idea of dystopian storytelling with utopian storytelling you know the idea that you can have a dystopian challenging cautionary environment or narrative that then pivots and creates uh, outcomes that are, are again discovery of something that's that's new and possible. The idea that there are different possibilities and this idea of combining, imagine doing, you know, a large virtual environment or a giant feature film even that had the idea of healing people within it, you know, and at the same time telling a story that engages a mass audience in a way. And I, I personally feel that there have been many films that have done that over the years that, that we don't, mm -hmm. you know, we don't necessarily focus on it with that dialectic but we actually have that experience and it changes our lives. Some of the films that change our lives have that, that great moment of, of sort of expansion of human consciousness or the idea of feeling a healing energy. And yet it's being done in a very commercial mass accessible way, you know? And, and so 
Uh, and then you have films that do that in a very non-accessible way that's very experimental and avant-garde. And all those modalities are, are valid, you know, for exploration. But now we're really getting to where with the, with the power of the technology, with the power of immersion, with the power of what we're able to create in a virtual environment, the, the responsibility we have as creators, and this is something I think that's really important for the young people coming up into this, this, this field, there's a greater responsibility than ever because there's so much connectivity. What we, what we create does matter. There's, there's always been a kind of great lie at the center of Hollywood, and it was expressed uh, in the famous Jack Warner quote, you know, if you've got a message, send it West in Union. <laughs> and look, and in, and in a way that, you know, I understand that you don't want to preach to an audience or anything like that. But at the same time, feature films and, 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 and this kind of these collaborative art forms that have become mass media experiences, they affect world culture. They affect global thinking. They affect the way we. And so if we are constantly bombarded with dystopian ideas around climate change is absolutely intractable. It's non-reversible and we might as well just give up. Look, it is tremendously challenging, but I think there's ways of telling stories or showing worlds around that that give hope, that create the idea that we could, just beyond that horizon, discover something new, discover something that's going to uh, bring us solutions that we never could have uh, thought of for these intractable problems. And when you talk to younger people, you know, even very young people about that, they really respond to that because they don't want to go into a world with no solutions. They want a world that, so showing solutions or the possibility of solutions in storytelling or story worlding is really critical. And I think there's a tremendous platonic responsibility that is at the core of what we do at this point. I've always felt it actually. And then once, you know, once you made a, a hit movie and it goes out there and over the years, probably about a billion people have seen my films, that is, it, it comes back to you in a way that you really realize, wow, this is, this has got, uh, you know, this, this thing we do is not just fluff and, and cotton candy. It's something that can really, truly affect people. And then I meet people like Skip who, you know, for, focus their healing work because of watching a, a crazy movie like, for, like Longer Man. I mean, you realize, wow, that inspiration that we give out there as creators and then bringing people in to that process of creation so that they're not just absorbing it, but actually become part of it. That's the thing that I think is really the undiscovered country that we're looking for in this new you know, era that we're moving into right now. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, stories are an immersive experience already. Like a, a character in a movie is something that you project yourself into. That's the part of the point of it. And we're adding uh, technologies to be able to immerse you more and more. Yeah. But they are ultimately already immersive. Like there's some, they're designed to take you into an experience as deeply as possible and, and, to give you a transformational experience. Well, and as people may may uh, may understand, you know, they're the immersive experiences like immersive and go and these things that are actually pretty basic in all honesty. Um, you know, they become a huge magnet for people to go out of the home and experience immersivity together. So there's a whole new genre of, of uh, experiences that are happening in the immersive realm in domes. Uh, I don't know how many of the people here have been down to Wisdom and, and, the, and the kind of experiences that uh, happen down there downtown. Uh, I'm really looking forward to being bringing more narrative uh, uh, things. I'm working with, with my partner, uh, uh, Mark Ricard, on 
some very uh, unique projects. We can't talk about exactly what they are, but bringing storytelling, even some very classic storytelling in the context of an immersive dome experience. And again, that process experimentation is there's an audience out there and actually participants out there that want to become involved in it. Uh, so it's a time where you can get, I think, a lot of support for these kinds of explorations we're talking about. It's not, it doesn't have to just be on the fringe or the avant-garde. It's something that's becoming the new commerciality. And, uh, and that's exciting. You know, I think one of the questions here is, you know, what are the alternatives to HMDs and headsets? Well, you know, th this idea of the Christmas environment where using screen technology which, by the way, anyone tracking what's happening with screen technology knows it's expanding and, and becoming more and more powerful with every passing uh, month, really. Uh, you know, flexible screen material, really micro pitch pixel uh, density that allows a kind of three-dimensional effect without having any stereoscopic uh, goggles or anything like that. The, the, the display technologies are moving very rapidly. There's a lot of dynamism in that. And also the way immersive sound works, and then you bring in the idea of uh, biometric feedback to that, and then the idea of uh, you know how you create an interactive somatic experience with sound and visuals, and now you're starting to get into a uh, where the patient becomes part of the creation of or the creator of their own healing environment, and that's what we want to create with the chrysalis. Not because you know in a healing sense, strapping a box on your head is not necessarily uh, the feeling that you want to have at the beginning of a healing experience. <laughs> so that's why we're looking at yep. other realities. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's very intense having a headset. Oh, I spent working on Lion King, making a movie, spending a lot of time in VR. It's I have memories from VR now from spending that much time in there. When the film came out, I felt like I'd already been there. Yeah, because to my brain, I had you know it was very well, that, burned into me. You're bringing up something that's really really important. These immersive technologies and the immersive experience and full virtual experience and whatever level of immersion, they hit the brain pan in a much more powerful way than any media form ever before devised. So again, the responsibility of this, these forms is really big. I mean, this is, you know, everyone's, you know, when television first came out, talked about what are the going to be the positives and negatives of television. There's a, you know, a tremendous amount of thinking on that that's happened. Well, just make advance that by or, or amplify that by a thousand in the context of imagine when virtual experience becomes truly ubiquitous, where, you know, it's it's being experienced by people of all age ranges. And and really that that idea of the responsibility of immersion response is something we need to embed into the storytelling itself. I believe that we need to have the self-reflexive nature of what we're talking about as part of the process experiment and actually creating really powerful dramatic stories that have that conflict, tension and release, and yet show the hope of where these, these media experiences can go, as opposed to just being media that will break down the nature of representative democracy and the kinds of things we're seeing <laughs> lately in the, in the world forum of, of how social media is created. And, you know, make for me, social media, and all the different fragmentations of that kind of virtual experience have been kind of the metaverse on training wheels. It's been like we've been exploring different pieces, parts of what, once that's all coordinated together, and I'm not necessarily wanting, you know, to be in, in an environment that's only controlled by one group like Meta, you know, or one guy like Mark Zuckerberg. Um, although the fact that he's spending the amount of money he's spending and, and doing the experimentation he's doing in, 
in uh, metaverse expression and virtual expression is phenomenal. I mean, that's, that's, these things need that kind of support. So we can't, you know, just be naysayers. We have to also support the positive nature of what's going on there. And, uh, you know, I think that there's, there's one aspect that I think is a really good thing for us to talk about here as we, you know, start to get towards the end of our discussion is the idea of interoperability between all of these worlds that are being created. The idea that it's not just going to be siloed worlds or elite worlds that only certain people can come to, a tiered system, that really the metaverse needs to have that true powerful network effect that happened at the beginning of the internet that created such an inspiration, such a positive uh, expression of like, wow, this is going to be a truly utopian idea, this idea of connecting with the internet. Now, of course, we've we've now explored many different routes and areas of that. Uh, but uh, this idea of interoperability and finding a foundation for uh, that interoperability, things like what the company Versus is doing, uh, which is uh, creating the, the uh, spatial computing protocol, which has been uh, standardized by the, I, the, the IEEE uh, standards body and making it all interoperable. The, the, the HTTP and TCP IP of the metaverse is going to be really imp important to create that networking effect where all of us can connect together in these things, as opposed to it being all these different siloed in a sense, solipsistic worlds. That's a kind of scary world I don't want to live in. One that's disconnected, you mean? Yeah, the, yeah. Where, where everyone has their own sort of, you know, solipsistic, uh, and, you know, these are some of the themes I played with in the Lama Man and with virtuosity, the idea that, you know, it can lead to a kind of disconnection from human process, a disconnection from human intimacy, from the nature of human love. We need to expand and amplify the nature of human intimacy and human love and human uh, positive thinking or, you know, positive uh, expression of discovery within these worlds. And that interoperability, I think, is one of the key things. And there's there's a lot of people that give uh, sort of, you know, li you know, just lip service to that. But it actually creating true interoperability, which did happen in the creation of the World Wide Web, that's what created the trillion, multi-trillion dollar economy of the World Wide Web. Without that network effect, without that ability to create, um, you know, true interoperability amongst all of those web pages and all of these, we wouldn't have a lot of the world we have today. And so we need to see how we can do that in the context of the spatial computing uh, revolution that's happening, which is really the foundation at the core of what the metaverse of what these new forms of virtual and immersive worlds will be will be based on. So that idea of spatial computing and that being the sort of algorithmic foundation and that being truly interoperable and open source, got to be open source. That's why uh, the versus spatial computing protocol is one of the open source protocols. And, and so that gives me hope. Right. Yeah, I, I think there's some tremendous work being done in the open source community and the USD is another yes. thing that was released from Pixar and put out into the world in an attempt yeah. to have some standards. No, no, I think, I think you know, that that is an example of kind of a utopian idea actually being executed in the world <laughs> and it right. actually leading to positive outcomes, even positive business outcomes. So it actually all the, you know, all the things can be served. Uh, in an open source environment. And, and, and the metaverse really has to be something that's interoperable and open source for us to really activate this idea of a true creator economy, of a true uh, empowerment of creation within the context of these new mediums. 
like we have to we have to learn how to interact again we've kind of learned how to interact in the, in the real world and then the internet's come along in the last five minutes and nobody knows how to behave on it <laughs> people are really like exactly. you know, i think that that's one of the things to just end on a positive note here i think that we're in early days with all of this even computing yeah. itself and the human computer is early days this we there's so many places we can evolve this to that are positive and if we again continue to have that hope and focus our 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 storytelling and story worlding and creation in positive outcomes in healing outcomes in outcomes that connect us as human beings i think this can all be something that pivots as an aikido move into a, a very positive outcome for these new media forms it doesn't have to be truly dystopian I love it. I'm an optimist as well, and, and your your optimism is infectious. And I um, I'd love to ask uh, how how can people find out more about what you're up to these days? Well, I mean, we have virtual uh, virtualpsychedelics.com. www.virtualpsychedelics.com is about v the company VPI, uh, and uh, I'm going to be having a, a a film that I that did come out in theaters uh, last year, Triumph. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Feature film that stars uh, R.J. Mitty of Breaking Bad. It's an inclusivity film about a, a young man who has cerebral palsy and wants to wrestle in the 1980s. So it's a kind of John Hughes movie of the 1980s, but with a inclusivity uh, disablement uh, theme. Uh, that will be coming out uh, in the next few months uh, on uh, digital platforms. And it's a very, you know, positive, inspirational film. And, and R.J., that actor, he actually has cerebral palsy, so it really it has uh -huh. a lot of truth in it. And, and uh, so it's, uh, it, you know, that, that's one of the things to look for. And then look for what I'm going to be doing with Lower Man Reborn, because that's something I'm really trying to create a kind of movement around, an idea of flipping the entire nature of how a feature film can come out of a group mind process. That's uh, one of the things that I, I want to engage as many people on as possible. Well, I'm certainly going to be checking those things out myself, and yeah. you know, I love sports movies. I don't follow sport whatsoever. And no, no, me too. Before, I'm not a sports but... person at all, but I love sports. Yeah. Making a sports movie, it's the first time I did, was really fun. It was great. I it, bet. Drama of sport is so fantastic, especially when it has a positive outcome. <laughs> I so I watched the trailer today, and I'm excited to be able to see it when I, when we're able to. Um, well, Brett. Thank you so much for taking the time tonight, um, sharing your experience. I know we just had an hour. It feels like it went by in about two minutes. Yeah, um, no, it was quick. <laughs> yeah. The light went down and now I'm just a silhouette. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Different cinematic looks from exactly. beginning to the end of the podcast. <laughs> it's great. Well, thank you. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Ed, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much. Likewise. Yeah, I'll look forward to the next time and hopefully it'll be soon. Uh, thank you as well to our listeners thanks for joining us tonight we'll be back again in a couple of weeks um, you can follow us at becomecgpro.com we are a school we teach people uh, mostly around uh, real-time technologies virtual production that kind of thing but um yeah again thank you all for joining us and i hope you have a great evening out there i feel inspired to go and i don't know create things now so <laughs> let's go thank you bye-bye